Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSF Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to our seventh short, which is a not-so-short short about weaponizing the past with a special guest, Eric Stromquist. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How goes it? It's going good. I want to talk about a show I just binged on and like how it relates to life and trauma and PTSD and everything. That's exciting. All right. What is it? Well, let me preface this with, we have a new neighbor and he used to work, find um, human traffickers and saving those Uh lives. Uh And I remember one time we were sitting down having a conversation and I asked him like the horrible things that you've seen in your job or your previous job, like, has that changed how you perceive God? Like, and he said, which I thought was really interesting. He said, no, because I believe that life is a lot. He's also hunts, like he's a hunter. And he's like, I believe that life is a lot about like survival of the fittest and that life is very violent. And there is a lot about power and control and violence and and selfishness in humanity and so it only just strengthens my belief in god because we need we need someone to take care of us kind of thing okay i'm paraphrasing what he said okay interesting but but his his like because my core belief is like people are essentially good and people are essentially kind and like he's seeing the perversion of nature and in his mind he's seeing a microcosm of how all humans truly are Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I like had a hard time understanding what he was saying. Okay. Fast forward. I've been watching this TV show called yellow jackets. Have you seen it or heard I about not. it? Nope. Okay. So it's got an amazing cast, Juliet Lewis, Christina Ricci, Melanie Linsky, who was in that beautiful creatures or beautiful things with Caitlin Winslet when they were really young, like 15. Okay. okay. Anyways, okay, so the the whole premise is it takes place on two timelines. There was a soccer team, like in the 19, I think it was supposed to be like the 80s or 90s, a girl soccer team is, is in an airplane crash, and half of them survive in the forest. And then it's present day where it's like a handful of the survivors and how they're dealing with like the PTSD of everything that happened at at this time. And I'm not giving much away because it's pretty much clear, like right from the get go that a lot of bad things happened when they were stranded in the forest waiting to be rescued, like cannibalism and murder and hunting each other and death and all sorts of like really dark things. 
And as I'm watching the show, I was like, I'm feeling so bad for what these young girls are having to go through. Like these teenagers are having to, to grapple with like life or death choices. Do I eat the dead, you know, do I eat the dead person that died in order for me to live? Like, can I live with myself knowing that in order to survive, I would have to actually eat somebody like who's died. Right. Okay. The point is, is it's so traumatic. It's so traumatic to these girls. And it made me think like without society, without rules and laws and police officers like left to our own devices maybe we all really we complain about ptsd and like trauma in our childhood but like like holy shit if if certain rules weren't established and in place our concept of trauma would be really different do you see what i'm saying like if you had to wake up on a daily basis and not know where your food was coming from or how you'd be sheltered from the cold or like that there's no law enforcement like in its natural order, without these rules and regulations we've created over thousands of years of society, like left to our own devices, it really is a fucking shit show out there. Uh, I think that's hilarious. And I totally disagree. But <laughs> I think it's really fascinating because I feel like you're saying that you don't inherently think that people are good or maybe individuals are good. Are you saying that you've like switched from like individuals are good, but like communities are inherently going to be violent, like Lord of the Flies-esque? I, I think that when push comes to shove, when it has to do with your own human survival, that humans are capable of atrocious things. Okay, so you're and, saying and, like and when so you're in like lowest, Maslow's lowest hierarchy of needs, like when you don't have food, shelter, water, people are, okay. Yeah. Like, I don't think like, like in the right, in the, in the right in quotes circumstances, we could all be pushed to do horrible things. Like I used to think, oh, people who do human trafficking, they're like the most evil of the evil. But like, if they're going to die, if their families are going to die, if horrible things are going to happen to them because they're on the bottom of Maslow's pyramid of needs, like maybe that propelled them towards human trafficking. Like it's just making me think like all the things I used to think were atrocious that no one who's quote unquote normal could actually do. I'm starting to wonder like in the right situation, or I should say the absolute wrong situation, aren't we all capable of horrible things to survive? So I think that inherently what you're saying is that survival becomes paramount. Right. I think that that's the thing that's really interesting about this. Right. Because you're like survival of the fittest. It's all about survival. And I think that for me, I feel I feel like. I feel like. I believe enough in the afterlife and the experience of that to know that that there there is an integrity that I intend to keep. Right. Even but even, could, I, you know what I mean? Really, like, but how do you know? How do you know if you are literally starving, like you haven't eaten in two months? Like, how can you trust that your mind and your soul is stronger than your body's physical need to eat? I think I just trust that. I don't know. I I, I mean, I really do. Like, I, I think I think I, I understand what you're saying. I think that that it it all goes from this idea, this like very solipsistic view that like we as humans are are so concerned with staying alive because we need to keep alive our, as individuals or maybe because we need to stay alive so that we can take care of our offspring or people that we love or whatever that like I don't know I, I think that I think that 
I, I think it's interesting you're bringing this up because I've actually been having similar thoughts and I feel like maybe it's in the collective unconscious right now, right? That there's like this kind of just because it feels like human trafficking and like all these things have just come up and they've almost overwhelmed a lot of my thoughts. But like, it's really interesting you're saying this because like, I think that inherently you're right. I can't tell you whether or not I would I would choose to keep my integrity. I think that also there's like a whole host of things that we consider like acceptable in our society that actually like you could go a lot further down in terms of like primitive and like your abilities to survive and like still keep your integrity, if that makes sense. Right. Like, you know, I don't know what if you're hallucinating from, from exhaustion, like you're hallucinating from lack of food and exhaustion. Well, you can always create like a a totally, you know, amazing scenario, right? Like an extra, extraordinary scenario, which And yes, you're right. Maybe if I've like eaten a bad mushroom and I'm like, oh my God, there's my dog. I want to eat it. Like, you know, (laughs) you would do something that you didn't really like. But like, I think that what I'm saying is that like, I think that right now for my own sake, I feel like the world is pulling us towards this idea that everybody is inherently bad and that we don't have this ability to create community. But the thing is, is that like, yes, when you're in an emergency situation and there's like a plane has crashed or whatever, like that's kind of a very extenuating circumstance. But the whole point of community is to say, hey, I can't actually build my shelter and get my food and get my water. I need a community to be able to, I need one person to go get the water. I need one person. It's like, naturally we are cooperative when we are in survival situations, right? And they, and, and all the shows create like I was watching this absolutely terrible show called La Brea the other day and it was always had like the one person who's like I'm gonna steal all the food for myself and everyone else was trying to ration it and I was like you always see that story like you know what I mean like we're recycling a lot of stories like that right now yeah and you know when it comes to this I I feel like I really can't necessarily say that I'm an expert from what I've read in the past I know that when it came to communities and it came to the natural caring capacity of communities and tribes, there was there was like a either decision to not procreate or there was a decision for the elders to to make a choice to or somebody who was, you know, not contributing in the same way to to leave the tribe. Right. So there was a natural tendency to say, okay, if we can't support all these people, instead of making everybody suffer, we will have some sort of process for kind of quote unquote controlling our population. But yeah, I think it's, I I just, I think that in my heart of hearts, I have to believe that people are, that people are, are good and that they can keep their integrity till the very end. Okay. Well, I don't know, but this show has really made me doubt that. Wait, is it based <laughs> on a true story? No, but I mean, it happened in the Andes when that Chilean, I think it was a rugby team, maybe it was a soccer team, crashed in the Andes. Yeah. They ended up eating other passengers and and there's cases of people being shipwrecked or lost in boats. And then there are other. The but other those people, people, they haven't killed them. They've already been dead, right? Well, we don't know that. That's their report, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, he was dead. Do we know? Yeah. Wouldn't I don't you know. tell everybody that the dude that you ate died? naturally yes i probably well yeah i probably would i don't know i think i just i think that it's important if we're keeping our north star to like be like hey yes there are probably very very extenuating circumstances in which i would be forced to do that and i don't know if i would i don't know if i i might be that like 
you know, person who's just like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, you know, they, they're usually the person who probably ends up getting killed and eaten, but next, but you know, Uh, yeah, I mean, and there's no, we don't know. And I hope we never know, but, but it just made me see that like my perception of what God and natural order is, is very privileged and different because I live in a country that has rules that most people are following and there are grocery stores with food available. Like I'm living in an extremely privileged time in human history, as well as like geographically to believe that I am a moral person. I get, I get what you're saying, but I also disagree in the sense that I think that the vast majority of the United States is underprivileged when it comes to community. I think that you probably live in a very good community, but I think that in terms of like, I mean, we both lived in other countries, right? We both lived in other countries and seen how amazing it is and how much people pitch in naturally and how there's like, it's a, it's just like a very different feel when you go to other countries and they have fewer of these conveniences and nice things or whatever in the traditional sense, but they are, they have significant access to community. What, would you agree with that? Like having lived in other countries? Yeah, I, I would agree, but I'm looking at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the first one is physiological and then safety and then belonging and love. So like that whole community thing of belonging love is the third rung on the ladder. So, I mean, according to this guy and like, who knows if he's right or wrong, right? It's just a American psychologist of the 1940s, but like, you know, according to him, that that's kind of pales in comparison to like physiological needs and safety. Mm. It's an interesting thing. It's a really interesting thing. Yeah, that's cool. I don't know. But Thank anyways, you it sh- up. yeah. The show is great. I mean, if you love, I don't know about you, I love Juliette Lewis and Christina yeah. Ricci and yeah. Melanie Linsky. They're just all great actresses. And then to see them all together, I was sad to say goodbye to the season finale. Awesome. So if you were to have been in a world in which you were forced into a situation of cannibalizing your friends and loved ones in order to survive, then you might be in a position where you would want to weaponize your past against yourself. Well, that's exactly what the show's about, actually. It's about <laughs> the older the older generation looking back at their younger generation and how much do they villainize who they were when they were simply just trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's that is the essence of what it is that we're trying to say, which is why this is such a good, that's a very good prelude, Anna. Thank you. So today we are going to give you guys just a brief kind of talk about weaponizing the past and give you an exercise that might help you to put the past in the right place in your life. So, you know, we talk so much about shadow work and effectively shadow work is is the work of the past right? For the most part, what we find is that shadow work is directly associated with a memory, whether it be in a past life or whether it be in this current life. And it is casting a shadow on your current day, right? Whether it's through like internal family systems where you have protectors who are protecting a exile, which is an, a past part of you, which is a, you know, an inner child or an inner teenager or past life person, or, you know, any kind of other thing along those lines in general, shadow work deals with the past. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up was because I've recently been talking to clients about this idea of how we can weaponize the past. The past can be weaponized against us and we can weaponize the past against others, but oftentimes, you know, we can weaponize the past against ourselves. So when the past gets weaponized about against us, 
it's traditionally a form of emotional blackmail where you use fear, guilt, or intimidation. Um, and guilt is what we're talking about here, right? Like usually when people are bringing up the past, it's a manipulation of guilt that says, hey, you've done this to me in the past. So therefore I have some leverage of power in this present moment over you, right? Using, bringing up the past continually is considered a relatively toxic part of any fighting when you're fighting with another person, especially if you have a marriage contract, like we've talked about in the past that says, Hey, once we've settled this argument, like once we've settled this thing and you've accepted that that's what it is, then that's it. That's, you know, you're not allowed to bring it up in the past. You have past, do you have in your marriage contract, do you have past arguments? Yeah, we have a, a little clause. And just so you know, you're referencing the episode that's called how to how to survive a pandemic without murdering your partner. And we'll link it in the show notes. But um, yeah, we have it in there that like, unless the event occurred in the last 24 hours, we're not allowed to bring up past, I past hurts, because ideally, the situation like going forward, the belief is that we will address every hurt as it comes up. So there's no need to revisit them because in revisiting them, we're only villainizing the person to strengthen our argument in the moment. So it's basically like who has the better memory or who's the quicker thinker that then becomes the, the more, the winner of the argument. Right. Cause I'm, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah. Like the, who has the file cabinet in their head of all the past wrongs or whatever. And it's not fair. So yes, we do have in our little marriage contract, wherever it may be. That, that, yeah, we, we, we can only use like current events at hand to, to like defend our argument. Right. Right. And, and that's, you know, I feel like the, if there were exceptions to that, it would, one would be, Hey, I'm seeing a pattern here. And in, in which case then you kind of bring up the pattern or if it's something that is so huge and detrimental that it is a possible deal breaker for one or the other person and one or the other person is still determining whether or not that is a deal breaker. Like they're still sitting on the fence with that. I feel like those are maybe the only two exceptions that you would have to that. Would you agree? Well, I feel like you should really establish what your deal breakers are before you even get in a relationship with someone, because it's really unfair to reserve the right to be like, yes or no. I, you know, like, I just think it's a really ugly place to sit. I agree. I think it's a really difficult place to sit. I mean, I, you know, like I can think of an example, like this is a tough example, but like, imagine that your partner was the one who was driving and was like, took a left turn too fast and, and ended up eating the family dog. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the- yes. Let's just say that's what it is and end up eating the family dog. Or something along those lines, causing harm to somebody like a kid in the family or causing harm to somebody in the family, right? It's like one of those things that I'm just like, if that happened. Right. Like you never think like, yeah, or like a miscarriage or something that like you haven't really like, okay, these are the possible events that could happen. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. You can't possibly, you can't possibly prepare for everything. And there's a lot of emotional gray areas, right? Because I think. Ultimately, what is this idea of weaponizing the past is this idea of entering the drama triangle, right? So we've talked about the drama triangle a lot and go back to season two, you know, around episode eight. And you can hear us talk about the drama triangle, whereas when you weaponize the past, you are creating a victim. Like you are saying, I am the victim and you are the abuser 
And I'm just going to keep reminding you of this time in which you were the past and you were the abuser and I was a victim. Right. And, and ultimately, you know, ultimately like when you have these moral gray areas or when you have these different things, like, you know, it's very, sometimes it's hard to understand, is there actually a victim in this? And is there actually an abuser? Because like, if there's, if, you know, somebody was in charge of making a bad judgment when they're driving, you know, that is that that's something that anybody could do. Well, it's like going back to the whole, like, can I bring up the past if it's showing a pattern? Yeah. Like, like, I feel like it's a, it's not like a yes or no. There's a lot of gray areas. Like, is this person making an attempt to fix this pattern or is this, this a karmic pattern that they're like never going to fucking get in this lifetime? Like you, like you love this person, but like, God help them. They're never going to fucking be able to do this thing that you want them to do. You know, when they talk about it in this one relationship book, I forgot how they call it, but it's like, you have irreconcilable problems and reconcilable problems. And there are some issues that are irreconcilable. And then like, is that the hill you want to die on? There's just like, there's so many nuances to, do they keep repeating this undesired behavior? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I like, think, I, go ahead. And then I don't, I just don't know. Like when you, when someone hurts you, but they keep hurting. Like there's another thing to keep in mind, which is like, is it the same story over and over again? Like in yeah. most marriages and friendships, the, the, like I would say with Christina and with my husband, every time we have an argument, it's pretty much about a new topic or a new dynamic or a new Mm -hmm. thing, Mm -hmm. but you might be in a relationship with someone where like you've been with, you've known them for eight years. And the one thing you constantly fight about is the same exact thing every single time, slight nuances change. So then that would become maybe an irreconcilable problem. And then you have to understand, like, is this something I can live with or not? Because some problems do not have solutions is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes the solution is you creating a boundary or you stepping out of the situation, which causes a big enough rift in, within a person to be able to move on to something else. But I think, I think you're, you're kind of getting to the heart of what I'm talking about, right? Which is that when we weaponize the past, we are taking the same story and we are bringing it into our current life over and over and over again. It's like, we can't get out of the mire. It's like, we're stuck in a swamp of this, of this past story. And it's just keeps playing itself over and over again. I can give you guys an example in my own life in which, you know, for years and years and years, I used to talk about how terrible this one person was to me in my life. And yet I never did anything about it. Right. I just kept talking about it over and over and over again. And it wasn't until it got so bad that I actually had to go low contact with the person and make some really strong boundaries that I actually stopped weaponizing the past. Like I don't even tell that story anymore other than in these situations. Right. Because to me, I've moved on. Like I've, it's like, it's like in some ways, the indication of telling the story over and over and over again means you're still stuck in the middle of it, right? Like you are just like living in that space and it's surrounding you because it's your story, right? It's your sob story. It's your, your victim story. It's your whatever. And it doesn't mean that there is not a tender, vulnerable part in you that deserves to be loved for being in the situation. But you can know that if you're hearing that repetition, whether it's a person saying it to you, to you over and over again, which means that they're stuck in that space, right? Like they're like, you know, they stayed with you when you cheated on them and they cannot let it go because they're still processing it or they can't actually decide which way they want to go. Or 
if it's the same way, vice versa, right? Where it's like, you're always like when anybody ever brings anything up, it's this story. It's this one story in this, you know, or two stories or three stories. And it just becomes your, it becomes your, where you're sitting in the world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then you either have like a, a insight where it's like, this is enough already. Yep. Or, or, or the other person just keeps amping up the problematic behavior to a point that it's no longer tolerable for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a jug and it's like, they do this undesired behavior and it's like, do they keep adding more water to the jug or is your, is your jug getting smaller? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And th I think that that's, that's the, that is the essence of this entire thing, right? It's like, when we're weaponizing the past, there are a couple of things that we can do to move out of this position. And I'm talking about whether or not you're the type of person who has a story that you tell over and over again, or you're in a relationship with a person who tells a story over and over again, right? One of the things is, is that we become, I, I want to say that there's just like a couple of like key things, which pushes this past, it, it moves this to a different place. One is that just like Anna said, you know, you gain enough confidence in yourself and you start to love yourself enough where you become less tolerant of, of, of being in this space of having the same story. And for the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to say that it's like a person having a story like that. You're tired of telling the story over and over again, right? Like you've told it so many different times. It is your sob story. It is your thing. And you're just so tired of it that you're just like, my body wants to stop doing this. Right. It's like, and in that case, it's like, it's like you, your cup, your, your jug has run over, right? Like, it's like, it's told the story so many times that you're just like, I'm sick to fuck of this. Right. The second is that, you know, is that something changes, right? Like something becomes so dramatic and another person or some behavior becomes so dramatic that it helps you recognize it, like almost jolts you out of, out of a situation. You're just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is not what I want to be in. Right. Like they, 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 they hold on a little bit too tight. They like, they hit a little bit too hard and in, in like verbally or emotionally or something like that or physically. So, you know, we're kind of talking about the essence of like when you are using your past to kind of get your way or kind of do whatever you need to do. That's when we come to this point where it's like, okay, recognizing that moving out of this position is really incredibly good for you in your shadow work journey. And I'm going to give you guys a couple of religious things, shockingly, or spiritual quotes from different like things that talk about the past real quick. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a, a quick one of what my husband says to me when we argue. Yeah. He'll be like, are you paying attention? Is it me that you're saying? Because I, I'm different. I've changed or whatever. And like, because sometimes I'll like, I will, I'll like see him through this lens of how I used to see him. He's like, I don't do that anymore. Or, you know, that's not me anymore. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And that is so brilliant, right? Because that is exactly what this is, right? Is is that if you have a story about yourself or if this other, if your partner has the same story over and over and over again, it's like, especially if you go back into old family situations, you're probably just seeing the past. You're just seeing that projection of them, right? And that relates directly to the Course in Miracles, right? So Course in Miracles, there's lesson 289 and it's the lesson for this. So for you guys who don't know the Course in Miracles, it is a channel document from Jesus that was written in the seventies. And there are 365 lessons at the back of the Course in Miracles. It's a very, it's a holographic text, which means it's like very difficult to read because every single sentence in and of itself is like, has a meaning. It's, it's not even like a narrative. It's just like every sentence is a thing. 
but lesson 289 says the past is over. It cannot, it can touch me not. And it says, unless the past is over in my mind, the world must escape my sight. Okay. Which means in other words, you know, another lesson in the course of miracles is I only see the past, right? So it's saying, unless the past is over in my mind, right? So unless like all the, all the movies have run out, the world must escape my, the real world must escape my sight. They're basically saying, if you're just seeing the past, you're just seeing projections, you can't actually see the real world. Mm-hmm. And, and it says, for I am looking nowhere, seeing what is not there, right? Because you're only seeing the past. How can I then proceed the world that forgiveness offers, right? So they're saying the world that forgiveness offers is the real world. And it says this, the past was made to hide. So this, the past was made to hide and means that the past was designed in some ways to cover the world of forgiveness for this is the world that can only be can that can be looked on only now so only if you're standing in the present moment of forgiveness can you actually see the real world and it says it has no past so that real world it has no past for what can be forgiven but the past and if it is forgiven it is gone i love it it's like and this week I saw Ram Das out of the corner of my eyes so many countless times this week. And he'd be like, be here now, be here now, be here now, <laughs> be here now. <laughs> yep. I have two quotes from the Bible, even, which is not something that we obviously normally do. One is from <laughs> the Old Testament. I'm pretty sure Isaiah, my God, the fact that I don't know if that's Old or New Testament speaks to something. It's Isaiah 43, 18. And it says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. And the one that really, and that is all we fucking do. <laughs> it's all we fucking do. It's really is all we fucking do. The other one just blew my fucking mind. I'm going to have to read it as many times as I read the course of miracles one, which is Ecclesiastes three fifteen, And it says that which has been already. And that which will be has already been for God seeks what has passed by. So again, that's that which has been already. So the past. And that which will be the future has already been for God seeks what has passed by. So basically they're saying that, that everything has taken place already. <laughs> if you take that out of context, I don't know. I, I can t- honestly say I didn't take out my Bible and see what was around that. But like, you know, the idea being that like, there's encouragement here to, to not take, to not live in the past or to use the fact that if you feel like you're stuck in a past moment, right, you can go back to the art of war episode where we talk about stories and how the stories of the past are basically oftentimes used against us and and kind of they're in some ways, the thing that we are combating, right? Like the sin that we've done in the past or whatever it is that we feel like we've done in the past is always constantly used to control us in the future. So whether it's an external experience or it's an internalized monologue, it's an internalized monologue that says, Hey, guess what? Like you fucked that up before you're going to fuck it up again. So just don't even try, right? Like all of the wounds use that past experience to control us and to change the things that we're doing in the current time. And the work that we're doing is to not allow the shadow, that shadow to kind of project onto us and not to, to shade our reality so that we can be as light and big as possible. We are also our shadow, but you know, there's a very important balance between shadow and light and dark. So Eric, your husband has always told me the most fucking amazing way of of reorienting 
so that you're not stuck in the mire of the past. Should I just get him to come up here and do it? If he's willing. Yeah. I feel like he'll explain it better than me. And I think it'd be amazing to get him on the show. Okay. Hold on one second. I love it. Okay. Oh, yay! Oh my God. This is like the biggest thing ever, guys. We are about to get Eric Stromquist on here. Okay. He's 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 coming up. I love. Okay. So today on the episode, we're talking about how people weaponize the past and hold the past against us as like a way to make us victims or perpetrators. And and really it's all bullshit because it's all a hologram. But okay, there's that. But then can you like explain to everyone on the air that whole NLP exercise you do where you have people look and see the past and then line it back up the correct way? You're weaponizing my past too. Like, How do you okay. reorient the past into the right position? Well, people organize time in different ways. They have their own timelines. So for example, Chris, if I was to ask you to think of something that happened 25 years ago, where would where would that be for you? Just point spatially. Where would it's that like, be for you? It's like 20 feet behind me. Behind you. Okay. Yeah. And if you go to 10, 10, 10 years, where, where is it? Is it closer to you or yeah, farther Yeah, it's away? definitely okay. closer to me. It's, it's okay, definitely so when like think, in when my When you dear. think about right mm-hmm. now, where do you see right now? I see right now, it kind of sits in the middle of my chest, but also like a foot in front of me. Okay, cool. So when you think about something you will do next week, where is that? That's off to the left. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then if you go out, maybe something could happen two or three years from now. Where is that? That's like so far away. That's yeah. like that's like in the next county. Yeah, but it's also up. So your timeline goes just based on your eyes. It kind of goes off and then up. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, let's just say a week before you leave the planet. I can't even see it. It's so okay. far away. Well, my point being, your past is behind you and your future is sort of in front of you. If you want to get more clarity, you could bring your future like directly in front of you okay, and then make it even bigger. So my point being, we organize time spatially and we organize it by, you know, colors. Traumatic events will be different. We'll, We'll code them differently, if you will. For a lot of people, traumatic events are black and white and more hazy, or they might be clearer. And happy events tend tend to have more color. So these are called submodalities or the modalities that we put on how we know who we are and where we are. Mm -hmm. So you can, among other things, you could just think of an event that in the past it was bad and you can just notice, like, for example, without giving anything away, just think of something that was less than glorious that happened to you in the past that you're willing to let go of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you got it. So when you, when you think of that event, are you seeing a picture? What, what's the picture look like? Uh, it kind of looks like it, it's small and contained, but it's like a TV. It's like a small screen TV. Okay. And um, so if you were to take that, is it a movie or is it a still picture? It's a movie. Okay. So if you make that, turn that into a still picture, mm-hmm. does it make it less or more charged to it? It has more charge to it. Okay, when you make it a still picture, okay. Yeah. So now, now make the movie. Go back to the movie, and uh-huh. the movie's in black and white or color. It's in color. Okay, so now put the movie and make the movie in black and white. Okay. And notice if it has more charge or less charge. <laughs> it has more charge because it looks like a documentary about oh, okay. this terrible thing that happened. <laughs> are you are you in the documentary, or are you seeing the documentary like you're watching on TV? 
I you're am seeing in yourself it. and then you're in it. Okay. Yeah. So now take yourself out of the documentary and okay. now you're watching the now does it have more or less charge on it? It has more charge. Because Being I see dissociate? I feel like empathy for the person I can see who's me. Okay. All right. So does it have a soundtrack to it? No. Okay, well, actually, so no. As soon as you said that, it got a soundtrack to and it. Yeah. What, what, what's the soundtrack? It sounds like beer pong because that's where the memory's around. Okay, like... it's memories about beer pong. Okay. <laughs> so now take the movie and blow it up super, super big yep. and then run it in reverse. And notice what that does. More or less charge. It totally takes the charge out. Okay. So there you go. So now if you were to do that four or five times, just that one simple thing, mm -hmm. it will completely shift your relationship to that event. Mm -hmm. So that's one way you could do it. Some people, it's the voice in their head. It's they're more auditory. So they might hear, like, for example, think of another one. Just think of another one that maybe you got. Toward, and so now notice the auditory there. First of all, what are you hearing? Is it your voice or somebody else's voice? I'm hearing somebody else's voice. Okay, I'm guessing it's like a parent or somebody yeah. that, okay. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm assuming that the tonality is not real nice, like it's um, maybe chiding you or something or lecturing yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. So now I want you to take that voice and I mm -hmm. want you to make it louder, mm -hmm. but then now I want you to change it to the voice of Daffy Duck saying exactly the same thing or right. Mickey Mouse. Take, right. take your pick. What does yep. that do? I got it. It does. It takes away the charge. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you, what I'm getting is you can run these three or four times and they'll never be the same. Right. So that's one way you can play with it. The other way you can play with it is noticing your timeline again. So just sort of allow yourself to relax. And I want you to sort of imagine you're floating up above and I want you to be able to look back and see your timeline and yours starts in the back, right? You can see it. Yep. And then you also see that it kind of comes out to the front and goes off to your left and then goes up, right? That's yep. the future. Okay, now I want you to just at a subconscious level sort of float above the timeline, and I want you to just allow yourself to float back, and I want you just to begin to look down and notice a part of the timeline that maybe doesn't look quite right, but maybe it was a trauma, maybe something you're not even aware of. Okay. And let me know when you have one of those. I got one, yeah. Okay. So now what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that you're still hovering above that timeline, but you sort of send down a probe so you can go, go down and look at that movie. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to tell me what it is, but just notice the experience. Is it something you remember and it was traumatic or is it something that you haven't remembered? And you go, oh my God, I can't mm. believe that happened. I'm remembering it more vividly, but it is something I initially remembered. Yeah. Okay. So now what I want you to know is that, that the cool thing about memories and the way we use our mind is like you get to be your favorite movie producer, Sophie Coppola, Steven Spielberg or whatever. So what I want you to do is I want you to, to look at that scene. I want you to, in other words, pull that section up like you're putting it in a screening room and you, you can edit like you got Final Cut Pro or whatever. Yep. And what I want you to do is I want you to rewrite the script. I want you to just take a minute and think about if this had gone differently. If I had done this differently or they had done this differently, how could this have gone from being something that was traumatic to something really, really, really wonderful? Yep. And let me know when you sort of have that done. And and I want you to edit it. I want you to get the color grading just right. I want you to put a, a music track to it that's appropriate. I want you to make sure the actors are using their tonality. I want to make sure that you look absolutely incredible. 
maybe wearing your favorite clothes or whatever. And I want you to just, you know, see yourself in whatever empowered state you need to see yourself in. And I want you to just very rapidly, because your subconscious can do this, I want you to just tweak the movie to make it an absolutely great, great, great experience, while at the same time taking the lesson that you needed to learn out of it. Yes. Okay? Yes. So in other words, the lesson that the, the universe taught you there, you're going to get that lesson. You're going to carry that with you from now on, but we're going to change the scene so you can go back down and I want you to replace that part because there should be a gap in the timeline. Mm -hmm. I want you to go back and I want you to put that new movie into the timeline, that exact same spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then imagine the timeline being sealed up. So now this is permanently in your memory, in your DNA. You got that? I do. Okay, now what I want you to imagine is I want you to take that memory and I want you to bring it all the way from the past to the present moment. Okay. And notice what that does. I mean, it might not be real evident, but at a certain level, because you've got a different history that affects everything coming forward. So just allow it to come forward and just sort of notice that it changes everything. What does your timeline, timeline, timeline look like now? Has it gotten, gotten brighter? Has it gotten bigger? How's it changed? My, bo when, my body's gotten more relaxed, like a lot more okay. relaxed. Yeah. All right. So your body's relaxed and the timeline has gotten more of a go to it, less of a go to it or whatever. It's just got, it's got more harmonics to it. Like it sings okay. more. So you got the harmonics. Okay. So why don't yeah. we just, while we're at it, while we're doing a little maintenance on your timeline, why don't we sort of tweak that up a little bit and without going into the content, so tweak it up, make it, make it more harmonic, get all these beautiful sounds that are coming from that moment to where you are right now. And maybe make the timeline spark a little bit. Maybe throw some color in it, some light. Maybe make it bigger. Because uh -huh. after all, I mean, if we're, if we're gonna we're, we're gonna redecorate, remodel. We might as well go all the way. Okay, right. pull that forward. Okay, go into your body. Notice how that feels. Yeah, that's nice. Feels okay, good. Okay, cool. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this history. We're gonna go all the way from the past through the present. So you're bringing it through. And then we're going to blast it out into your future. Mm -hmm. And so notice your future, how that affects your timeline, your future timeline. Just look at it and see how it changes. It became more in front of me, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So a little clearer. So maybe there's less to less to hide from now. Yeah. Okay. And when you sort of go back to that event, when you think about that event now, how does the, how's the charge on that event now? It's more or less. It's much less. Yeah. It's a good charge. Yeah. yeah. So for your audience out there, the thing about it is we, we get these incredible brains that are capable of anything, but we never get an owner's manual with them, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get the owner's manual. So this is kind of like things you can do with your brain to change things without even having to talk about the event itself. So sort of a recap, we we can you know go and notice the, the pictures, the sounds, the feelings, and we can play with those and change them, which will change the event. We can go back in time, noticing our timeline, and then we can change the movie, keeping the lesson, always important to keep the lesson that, that the universe was teaching you. So you carry that with you. Then we can pull that forward to the present moment and we can blast out to the future. Some people will then get multiple timelines because they have more choices. Yeah. And in your case, it just became clearer and more in front of you. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. That's wonderful. Thank you, mm -hmm. Eric.
Thank you for dropping in. (laughs) You bet. You bet. Well, yeah. Making your debut on this spiritual fix. (laughs) Well, I'm really proud of you too. And it's so cool what you guys are doing. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, so Anna's, Anna's asking if I can sort of, so this, this is a common thing that happens with people with their timelines, because you can change your timeline. But for example, some people, the timeline, it'll, the past will be in front of them yep. and their future will be behind them. So guess yep. what they do all the time? They always, they always stumble into the same problems again. Yeah, they live, they live in the past, yep. right? They can't see their future. So for them, it's just a matter of, you know, having them relax in a relaxed state. And then you can just move that timeline. You can just shift it. You can move your future out in front of you so you can see it in your past behind you. Or if you got, let's just say you got something that's um, a deep, dark trauma you can't quite get to, right? You know something's bothering you, but you but you just don't know what it is. You could temporarily just shift your timeline and put the past in front of you. Right. Right? So now that becomes clear. Right. But playing with timelines is really, really cool. And if you if you if your audience checks it, I mean, people will have so many different variations of the timeline. Yes. Yes. But it's very, very, very powerful. It is. It is. And that's that's wonderful. And I think that's that's kind of the 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 summary of what we're saying is that like we've talked a lot about weaponizing the past and all these these different pieces of it, but it's also really important to recognize where is the past in terms of its importance to you and where are you in relation to your past? Because it serves its purpose for whatever is necessary in order to do shadow work. But truly it's it's a matter of really orienting it and putting it in the right place, which is behind you. Yeah, absolutely. And and to, yeah, to your point, I mean, I believe that the universe is always teaching us and everything that everything that happens to us, the universe has done it for our benefit. And if mm-hmm. we get that and we can learn the lesson, then we can we can move on. But people, a lot of people just don't know that they have the option to to change to, to time shift reality. Yes. And that's kind of what you're doing. And the the chance of any of us remembering accurately what happened in the past. I mean, because we got our story, their story, and then, you know, what actually happened. But but we we live in our traumas, right? And I think yep. that's probably the importance of shadow work is is you go in to see where you're creating these traumas. And this is just probably another tool that you can use to to gain access. To shift it. Yeah. To shift it. Exactly. All right. Did that answer your question, Anna? Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. You guys keep doing the great work. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. That was awesome. Thank you, Eric. Awesome. That's just what we needed. That is exactly and what I'm we And I'm jealous because you kind of got a, like a free trauma session out of I this. I did get a kind of get a trauma session out of it. I hope you were doing it too. <laughs> I, I'll have him do it to me later. Yeah, exactly. He he lives in your house. You know where he lives. So yeah. <laughs> not that I don't often get free sessions from Eric all the time. So grateful for that. So brilliant and idea. To, and to anyone, I don't know if he went over it, but just to anyone who's curious where this information is coming from, it's NLP, Neuro Linguistic processing and you can find nlp therapists to help you do this kind of work if you don't feel comfortable doing it to yourself yes and you can also go back to episode eight of the first season in which we kind of we talk about primary interests with nlp i think we had two episodes about it if you want to learn a little bit more about neurolinguistic processing Mm -hmm. and i'll and i'll link the reddit page which has a lot of good resources to learning more about nlp yeah all right 
Thanks, Thanks Christina. This was a, Thanks, this was a, this was a long short. It was a long short. You're right. I had a feeling that it might kind of turn into a semi episode, but it is a short. So enjoy y'all. Enjoy uh, your, your bonus 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to this short or not so short from TSF. If you like us, please put something in the reviews on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or anywhere where you can rate your podcasts. Thanks. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.